Hey, y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Me and a Bunch of White Girls, the podcast that is sharing the stories, the experiences of women and femmes of color who live, work, go to school, date in predominantly white spaces. I'm your host, Clark Williams. I'm a consultant based out of Washington, D.C., and the show is like one of the highlights of my life passion project that like I never could have seen actually happening and it wouldn't have if it were not for all of the wonderful people I have in my life who are willing to come on get tipsy with me and share their stories um, who are being so open and so authentically themselves I'm so grateful and thankful for all of them and I'm thankful for all of you who are listening to this show um, and you know having a moment with yourself and then also having a moment with me and my friends. I think that's really beautiful and really special that other women of color are listening to the show and are really getting something out of it and like letting go of some of that negative bullshit that's being put on us every single day that the show is helping you let that go. That's been like really wonderful for me to hear from people listening to the show. I I hope you, you keep having that feeling as we continue. So this week, I wanted to do something a little bit different. It's Valentine's Day week. It's a Tuesday before Valentine's Day. And I invited three friends to come on the show this week and talk about microaggressions they experienced in their relationships, whether it was a partner saying something effed up, or it was a partner's family member or family friend saying something messed up, or if it was a stranger interacting with my friend and their partner in a really effed up way. So it runs the gamut. And I think we all know that. And that's why I think these three stories are so important to share. So we're going to start with Danielle, who you all met on episode three. Yes, episode three. You're intimidating the rest of the class. Um, Danielle is sharing a story from college era, I believe. Uh, Danielle's a womanist activist, reproductive justice activist, um, who was originally from Alabama, is now living in the district, being an amazing woman of color, queer leader in a space that does not have a lot of either of those um, identities being represented. Second, we're having Nicole on the show. I love Nicole so much, y'all. Nicole is an activist based out of Washington, D.C. as well, who was originally from L.A. She likes discussing race and politics, learning about astrology as a Gemini, and planning woke photo shoots for her IG. If you don't follow at Jasmine Nicole, you are missing out. Um, Nicole is going to be sharing a story also from college, actually. Yes, look at us. Um, sharing a story from college, uh, dating white men. Um, third story, also, I believe college era, or at least like early 20s era. Uh, my friend Randy, who is a personal trainer, a health coach, the big sister I always wanted. And I'm sure she would follow that up with the little sister. I'm the little sister she never wanted. But I literally look up to her so much. She is everything. She is going to be on the show talking about the earlier years in her now marriage, I guess, relationship. She is now married to um, a wonderful man. Shout out to Dylan. Hey, what's up? Um, and some microaggression that they experienced, like, in their dating life. Um Heads up, Dylan is a white man. (laughs) 
she says that obviously but i was like you know i'm just like in the intro i should tell y'all what's going on so yeah so we have a really great show i'm excited to hear what you all think how you all relate to their stories uh so we're just gonna get right into it here's danielle Okay, so I'm here with Danielle, and we're talking about relationships today. <laughs> Danielle shaking her head. <laughs> like, oh, God. But I I really wanted to have this episode because, one, it's the week of Valentine's Day. I'm going to do something special. Um, and I've never been in a real relationship. I've been a chronic situationship-er. Yep. <laughs> Um, so I'm really curious to know what we've all kind of dealt with, experiences that we've had. Um, you briefly mentioned something that I'm really excited to get into because you were super vague. And I'm like, what is this going to be? You were just like, uh, can it be a macro aggression? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm ready. (laughs) I was like, damn. Yeah. Okay. Bring it. (laughs) So the story has a lot of context. So, yes. Um, so my current spouse is the first and only black person I've ever dated. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone before was white, Mm -hmm. um, for various reasons, mostly that, um, I was mostly like high school and forward in predominantly white institutions of various sorts. So, um, yeah, my first, everyone else, everybody else other than my um, spouse, white people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the person that I'm going to tell you about, who is heavily featured in my macroaggression, was um, my second girlfriend who I was in and... I guess now you call it a situationship. Uh-huh. Um, then I mm-hmm. was, and now really refer to it as um, an on and off again relationship okay. for six years. Wow. <laughs> 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 Damn. That's a bulk of your like growing up mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we started dating in, I think my sophomore year of high school. Yeah. And we went to the same university. Yeah. So from sophomore year to uh, sophomore year of high school to late sophomore year of um, college, we were together ish. Um, <laughs> so she to set the scene. I like now refer to her as my worst ex. Um, <gasps> oh, she Lord. is. I mean, she's still alive. We follow each other on Instagram mostly, so she can see that I won the breakup. But. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she's like, I'm from Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has a southern accent, blue eyes, blonde hair. When we were um in high school, she was, I think she still dances. So she was in a ballet program. Oh, so wow. like rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Any like stereotype yeah. of a white girl you can think of. Yeah. She just like checked off those boxes. Um, and she was also queer. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I don't know how heterosexual relationships work. Um, cause by the time I started dating, like for real, I like already knew I was queer. Yeah. But, um, you know, young folks, like, 
queer relationships as young people, I think, tend to be pretty, like, intense anyway, um, especially because we were all, like, in the process of sort of figuring ourselves yeah. out um, and figuring out, okay, I know I have these feelings that I don't know, like, exactly how I identify or whatever. Yeah. And so at that point, I was only closeted to my family. So everyone, like my whole friend group, everyone I went to school with, um, knew I was queer. Mm -hmm. And she was, um, at the time of this story, uh, she was um, fairly closeted to most people. I think only certain folks knew about like our relationship. Okay. um, Which is fucked up <laughs> yeah so y'all went to school together we went to school together yeah for the whole six years that yeah. we were on and off together and we went through like a whole lot of bullshit of like figuring out whether or not you're queer figuring mm. out whether or not you want to be with this person and like really going back and forth about that mm-hmm. and like sometimes like dating guys while also mm. doing stuff with me wow um, like yeah i was absolutely like sort of I think it was easy for her to justify uh basically fucking around on me because she assumed that I would always be there because we mm. were in an on-off relationship for six years anyway um so that is my worst ex yeah um I still I would I I wouldn't say that I in my present self still have feelings about her and her present self Mm -hmm. but I definitely still have like feelings about the way that like she treated me as like super disposable and super like oh I can do whatever I want and you'll always be there um as we were growing up but so the story that I have for now for this episode is so in 2012 uh, there was this like horrible tornado that like ripped through Alabama, and actually, fun fact, I almost died what? <laughs> in this tornado. Oh my and god! It was like this like huge storm that was like basically headed straight for the building that we were in. Yeah, and fucking Alabama football, it got turned around because it went through the stadium. And, like, there was just something, or at least this is what people say, right? Okay. That there was something about it being in the stadium that got it off course so that it was no longer heading towards the building that we were in. Okay. So, were it not for the stadium, I would absolutely have died. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, like, destroyed Tuscaloosa, which is the city that University of Alabama is in. Mm-hmm. And then it proceeded to destroy Birmingham, or large parts of Birmingham, which is the city that I'm from. Yeah. So it was super traumatizing. I probably still have some, like, for real PTSD from it because it was horrible. Yeah. But, uh, uh, so one of the neighborhoods that it destroyed was a neighborhood that a couple different members of my family lived in. Yeah. And my grandmother was actually killed by this tornado. What? Yeah. Danielle! <laughs> it's fine. This happened. I mean, it's not fine, but this happened, like, six or seven years ago. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it, it That's awful. It's it <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it gets worse in terms of this story. No. <laughs> so the area that my grandma lived in was called Pratt City. It was a okay. neighborhood. I don't know why they called it a city. It doesn't matter. And so after the tornado, like immediately after, um, I think I was actually dating someone else at the time. Mm-hmm. And, like, in the aftermath of the tornado, she and I, like, 
got back together, air right. quotes. Right. But um, so I ended up, so I went back home to Birmingham to like sort of be with my family and yeah. deal with all the things happening there. And I ended up going to see her at her family's house. Keep in mind, we're like, uh, this is sophomore year, so we're like, what, 18, 19? Yep. Um, so we're in that like weird in-between space where you're sort of an adult, but kind of not. And especially in like times of tragedy like this, you're really not. Mm-hmm. You're like someone's child again. And so I went over to her parents' house and we ended up um, going for a walk and somehow one of her... Um, uh, friends of the family ended up joining us mm-hmm. and so we're on this walk and talk sort of processing and talking about what happened and it wasn't her it was oh my god I forgot a detail you can edit this in at some point <laughs> so her grandfather I think was the grand wizard of the county that oh, they lived in mind shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was real bad you knew this before going over to her house yeah <laughs> I've known this for years. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, this is the family and the, like, extended to friends of the family. These are the people that, you know, even if she's, like, allegedly, allegedly not racist, or at least, air quotes, not racist enough to, like, date someone who's black. Yeah. This is still, like, the family that she has. So we were on this walk with the family of a friend and we're talking about the tornado and all of the places that have been destroyed. And she's uh, the family friend starts talking about how, according to her, people are going to start like taking advantage of insurance claims Mm -hmm. and try and get things out of the government or whoever insurance and that it's bullshit because they never had anything. So it's not fair that they should act like they they have anything, act like they have anything now and et cetera, et cetera. And she's like, yeah, people in like, and she starts naming all of these cities that are of course uh, predominantly black. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yeah. And like Pratt city, like, what is that? (laughs) And uh, the person that I'm dating was dating then it just kind of sits there and mm-hmm. is just like nodding and I'm like you know I'm not arguing because I'm like out here like 45 minutes away from my house they drove me here mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is before Uber was a thing mm-hmm. in Alabama so there's no way for me I mean I can call my family but there's no way for me to easily get back and I just have to sit here and listen to this woman tell me that the, like, this area that I grew up in, this, like, area where, like, I have to pass by and see my grandma's, like, destroyed house wasn't ever shit in the first place. And And everyone who's there is just there to mooch. Yeah, is there to, like, mooch, never mind the fact that their, like, homes have literally been destroyed and so yeah and she was just like not alone just like yep that's so true i agree with that (laughs) um and you know i wasn't i wasn't in a place then where honestly like we had 
like after this time we decided to like get back together for real and try again Mm -hmm. and we like broke up shortly after yeah but when I look back on like all of the red flags from you know from sophomore year of high school on of like treating me as disposable like uh really on also like there's some weird shit about like not really respecting my activism or like why right. I decided to do it but that was the moment where I was really like oh <laughs> I really should have like said fuck this and fuck you yeah. and like make my way on back home yeah so you know that was really the moment not in that moment but looking back where I sort of recognized that just because you're dating a black person just because you're like cool air quotes mm-hmm. with being mm-hmm. around black folks actually doesn't necessarily mean shit unless you're like willing to put up in those moments yeah where you're talking to someone who's been a family friend for years and years who's spouting this like absolutely vile bullshit and is so comfortable spouting it that they will say it in front of like a black person who they have no idea where they're from or what connections they have with the destruction that has happened and you just sit there and nod. Like, there's no reason for me to move on from that or trust you or think that, okay, you're going to have my back in any other situation because you didn't have my back in the situation where all you had to say is, oh, that's actually fucked up. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That is my macro aggression. (laughs) I'm just like... Were there other moments and like microaggressions from her and her family throughout your six year on and off relationship? Mm. That's hard to say. I think I think the microaggressions were like it's hard to identify them mm-hmm. as aggressions because it was so much wrapped up in mm. like just the the I like hesitate to call it abuse with like the emotional disinterest mm-hmm. um and the like real assumption that assumption that I'd always be there and that I'd always be fine sort of taking second best to like whatever bullshit you're going through yeah. and also like the I think with her, it was a real I don't see color kind of relationship. Oh, my God. Where, you know, (laughs) all of the faces that you're making. Um, I'm not transparent. No. (laughs) I I am transparent. Yes. In the face. I have such a hard time. So many people are like, we're in a meeting. Fix your face. You can't look at our boss like that. (laughs) What? What? But yeah, so like I, I mean, I mentioned in the last um, episode, like I have spent a lot of time, a long, long period of time working through my own anti-blackness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're a white, a racist white person, what's, if you're going to pursue a relationship with a black person, goddamn, how easy is it mm-hmm. to do it with someone who has a lot of anti-blackness themselves mm-hmm. and who... You know, when you're like, I don't see color, they're like, oh, I'm not a color. (laughs) (laughs) So it was absolutely like that. It was like, oh, I'm so glad that you participate in all of these elements of like whiteness. You like these artists that aren't rap artists. You 
do all of these things that I think of as being quote unquote too black. Yeah. Like none of it was a lot of that. So and that's hard for me to identify as a microaggression because it felt so seeped into just our relationship that mm-hmm. like the whole fucking relationship was an aggression of some sort. Ooh, yeah. So um as I said, I uh follow her on Instagram now. We follow each other and um she has a friend who is a black person um who is like female assigned at birth i don't like know their gender identity Mm -hmm. but i see a lot of the ways that she treated me in like taking that emotional labor or requiring that emotional labor and that oh we're so close but I'm not going to choose you first or I'm not going to make you a priority or et cetera, et cetera. Cause we're just friends or we're like just playing or whatever. Mm. Like I see that, I see that happening with this person yeah. and I really like, not so much now, but when we first broke up and I started to see this person in her Instagrams, I mm-hmm. really thought about sending just a quick DM just to be like sis room. <laughs> Like, it's not what you think it is. You're not going to get whatever you think you're going to get. Like, get out now. <laughs> so. so in your relationships moving forward, mm-hmm. did you date? So after this officially ended, mm-hmm. did you date other white people after you were like, no. Was that like a, I am through because of this experience or did it just like shake out that way? I started dating my spouse. Um maybe six months after we broke up for the last time, which I sometimes joke and say is like way too soon, but you know, it worked out for us. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. We're married. Um, but like, I just, I'm pretty upfront about the fact that like, I'm not interested in pursuing a romantic or sexual relationship with white girls. Hmm. Like I don't, <laughs> You can edit out whatever you need to hear, but like, I don't find white girls attractive unless it's like a very, very niche. And even then, like, I, you know, I am friends with the white girls that I became friends with before this breakup. Mm -hmm. And all other white girls are like arm's length. Mm. (laughs) Like, because there's that like thing about white women, right? Where it's sort of stylized as white men are dangerous. Yeah. White men are the ones who will yell racial slurs at you and who will like be physically violent towards you. Yeah. But white women are, you know, we're all oppressed. We are all all have marginalized identities. Why don't you trust me, et cetera, et cetera. It's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, which is not to say that I don't know white women that I'm fond of, but Outside of the ones who I became friends with before this breakup, I know that I, I, I'm not going to say I know. I think that it is very unlikely that I will find another white woman who I want to have a deep relationship of any sort with. Because mm-hmm. it's just like, there's a whole other level of unpacking your own privilege mm-hmm. and unpacking your own like immediate bias and reactions that white women get to like slide by and not have because they're like well I'm not a white man 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not the one who was out here with the KKK hood on. It's like, no, sis, but like, you were the ones who were like making the household run with were are the one making the household run and like not calling your husbands on their shit not calling your family members on their shit when they do these racist things and so setting up a picnic yeah next to the tree <laughs> yes <laughs> like that you, the person will be lynched from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think that it's in some ways it's like more subtle than the racism racism that we see from white men. And I think that that makes it harder for white women to unpack. Yeah. And like, that's their cross to bear. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm yeah. not like trying to walk you through unpacking your own biases and your own racism. Yeah. And I'm I, also not here to date white girls. <laughs> Um, thank you for being on Mean a Bunch of White Girls. As you know, it's a Valentine's Day special, so we're talking about relationships. My favorite topic. <laughs> and we were talking the other day, and you had a really great story, um, but I wanted everyone else to hear about your college years and dating in college. You went to Holy Cross? Yes. So give us Worcester. like a... Give us some information about Holy Cross because I had never heard of it until you mentioned it. Yes, neither had I um, until I got the financial aid package. Yes. So, <laughs> so Holy Cross is in Worcester, Worcester, Mass, <laughs> Massachusetts, and it's a small liberal arts Catholic college, and it's not very diverse. Mm. So. I think it's only been 40 years since the women were allowed to attend the the college. Mm. And before that, it was mostly white, male, Irish, Catholic. So, the complete opposite of me. (laughs) And when I arrived to Holy Cross, I had a huge culture shock. I come from Los Angeles, where there's huge diversity everywhere you go in the city, so when I got there, it felt very strange to be an actual minority mm-hmm. group because I'm Mexican, Mexican-American, and in L.A., that is a huge population. So when I got there, it felt very isolating to be there where you felt that no one looked like you or understood your background. So that was kind of my first introduction mm-hmm. uh, to the campus was being in a classroom where I was the only person of color, the only woman of color in most cases. So it was a very challenging four years to say the least. Um, But I learned a lot. So yeah. So what were your dating experiences like? So when I first got to Holy Cross, I had just gotten out of a relationship from high school. So I was, of course, heartbroken. Right. uh, Because I thought I was going to marry him. So... I was, you know, very committed to just being single and working really hard in school. But of course, college is a huge dating scene, hookup scene. So I got swept swept into it of kind of feeling pressure to find a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got there, I was not looking for a committed, you know, relationship, but I was interested in a few people. And I was, we were sort of dating around um, 
But I again, I noticed that it was very difficult to find people who understood my background um, as a Latina. So it was challenging and stressful, and I constantly felt this unsettled feeling in my stomach as if uh, I wasn't being taken seriously sometimes mm -hmm. or I was a fetish for for some guys. Um, and so I was always on edge. And being a woman and being a woman of color, you always feel that uh, walking in the world, just feeling like you're always second-guessing things or watching your back or trying to figure out, you know, what are people's real intentions. So dating felt like felt like that as well. Um, and so I, I met a few guys and most of them were white men because that's most of the population at Holy Cross. Yeah. And in the back of my mind, I kind of was a little uncertain, but I also felt this pressure um, that I didn't know where it was coming from of like, why, why am I being chosen by these guys? Mm -hmm. um, I guess not pressure, but uncertainty of why, you know, what, what are these people's intentions? And it definitely came, I later kind of reflected on this from my upbringing. So growing up, it might have not been directly said by my family, but it was understood that dating someone who was white was superior, was mm. the better alternative. And that is, of course, from internalized racism and also just how we function in the world and how we we value whiteness over everything else, um, how society values whiteness. So I always felt kind of lucky to be chosen mm. by these white guys. Um, and it it really messed with my head because... I knew my value and I knew how important I was besides, you know, having been quote unquote chosen yeah. um, by these white guys. But at the same time, I was battling this, this idea that I had been brought up with of you should date someone who is white because your children will be cuter or yeah. um, they'll have more wealth or they're more intelligent or they'll have certain privileges that you can benefit from. And so that was something that I really struggled in the beginning uh, with. So I dealt with, with this identity issue of I'm a proud Latina, but here I am, you know, feeling jealous when a white guy that I'm talking to is talking to another woman of color mm. and I want to be the only woman of color he speaks to. So it it was something that I had to confront and realize, okay, where is this coming from? And what can I do to address it? Um, and I did address it eventually. And I started realizing I was letting people use me for their own benefit, whether mm -hmm. it was being arm candy or making them feel good about their white guilt. Mm. Uh which was something that a lot of the guys that I talked to felt. And they thought that by dating a brown girl, they were somehow redeeming themselves. For all and, their racist bullshit. Yes. So they wouldn't call out their racist friends. They wouldn't call out their racist family members. But hey, I'm dating a brown girl. Um, so I'm not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was really frustrating mm -hmm. because 
I would be in a room with this guy that I'm attracted to and I'm like trying to make it work and his friends are making racist jokes and they're being microaggressive and he's not saying anything. And so I'm, you know, I'm questioning like, well, does he actually care about my identity? Does he actually care about me as a person and all that comes with me as a woman of color? So that was really challenging to, to process. But um, yeah, as I moved along my college career, I definitely became more confident in calling that out. Mm -hmm. And by senior year, I was like over it. If you want to date me, you have to be willing to, to put yourself out there. You can't just claim you're woke because you're dating a Latina. And then when your friends are wearing MAGA hats or think it's funny to have a Mexican theme party Mm. and you're just brushing it off as like, Oh, they're just being, you know, dumb college Mm -hmm. kids. Well, then you don't care about me. You don't love me. Um, And so, yeah, so that realization thankfully came pretty soon. But it definitely is something that I still really have to work on. Yeah. Um, In the workplace, uh, in my personal friendships, in my relationships, just working on taking that internalized racism and just throwing it away yeah. because it is something that I was brought up with and I automatically assumed was right. Yeah. And yeah. So my mom would tell me, you know, I dated a a white guy my freshman year and she was quote unquote proud of me and that, and I remember her feeling like conflicted because I, I was like, okay, like, is she proud of me because I'm dating a really good guy? He he was a really good guy. Um, or is she proud of me because he's white? Yeah. And she would brag to our family members about his whiteness mm. and about his family's background. And I never, you know, I would I would never blame her because that's how she was brought up yeah. as well. Um, growing up in Mexico and in the community that she did where not only did they value whiteness, but they valued citizenship, right. um, citizenship of the United States. So that's just what she knows. Um, but I I have had that open conversation with her and telling her, you know, it is hurtful yeah. when you say those things because there was a moment where she did make a comment about my current partner who is not white. He's not Mexican-American. And she kind of insinuated that she was disappointed um, because I wasn't dating a white guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love this person and this person is so amazing and so, so great. So I was like, you'd rather date, you'd rather have me date a white man than have someone of color who is wonderful to me. Yeah. And we that that was definitely the final straw when I had to have that conversation with her because I was very, very disappointed and she and she understood and she realized, you know, this is this is unhealthy and um, something that she has to work through as well. But at the end of the day, I made a decision for myself that I am not going to let a white guy or a white girl, a white person in general Mm -hmm define my value and I think we do that a lot um when we feel lucky to be chosen by a white institution 
and chosen by a white boss or chosen by whatever white systemic, you know, system, we feel so fortunate because we look around and we're like, oh, I was chosen. I was the person out of all these people. And, but then I would look around and be like, wait a minute, my friend is also just as qualified and is also just as beautiful or what have you and she wasn't chosen why does there only have to be one person of color yeah and and that is something that I've been also working through especially as I move along in my career of saying no I'm not gonna be the only person in this room anymore I'm gonna recommend other women of color I'm gonna recommend other people of color because it's not fair that you get to choose only one yeah and tell us that we have to compete with each other yeah so yeah so before we close out i definitely want to know like what changed your mentality in college was it a class was it a peer was it a situation like what kind of what led to that switch Mm -hmm. internally that you were like okay no more yeah so i had it, it was a friend he was definitely romantically interested in me but Mm -hmm. I wasn't and but I still wanted to be his friend yeah and so you know we would hang out all the time and we were very close and then he started making comments about uh kind of how I was like teaching him race and ethnicity studies Mm. and how I was his like woke friend or whatever and at first I felt very like honored I was Mm -hmm. so I was like oh okay like he looks up to me because I'm teaching him new things about race and like racial inequality and quote-unquote being woke but then I started having this uneasy feeling of okay he's definitely using this to his own advantage and he's not giving me anything back in return yeah and this is like an unbalanced relationship so, you know, we would watch uh, Dear White People together and he would interrogate me the whole time about oh race God. and ask me all these questions. And I just felt so much pressure to to meet these standards for him. And so I felt, I felt like I was constantly performing, trying mm. to be this ideal brown girl mm. and be the most intelligent brown girl for him, yeah. not for myself. Yeah. And I just got fed up with it. And I, you know, I I felt this is unfair to me. Um, And we had a conversation about it. And to him, he got very defensive Mm -hmm. and was kind of like, felt like I was taking something away from him. And that really, of course, upset me. But it made me realize like, wow, okay, let me reevaluate my friendships and my relationships Mm -hmm. with especially white guys. And what, what is, what is happening? Yeah. Am I receiving the same emotional support, intellectual support from them? Yes. The question was always, I mean, the answer was always no. (laughs) No, I, I did, I felt on edge all the time. I felt that if I misspoke or if I quote unquote insulted them, that I was going to lose something. I was going to lose the status that I had been bestowed on by these white guys. And so yeah, so when we had that conversation and I realized like, whoa, okay, he thinks that he owns me. He yeah. thinks that I owe him something as a brown girl to teach him 
about these woke things mm-hmm. and now that he's not getting getting these things from me he's upset and there's a quote that's like that says people show you who they really are when you tell them no mm. and so when i told him no i'm not gonna be this for you anymore he showed me who he really was mm-hmm. he didn't care about me value me and that that was a turning point for me in my head of kind of saying okay i need to recognize that i'm dealing with this complexity of feeling that white people are the affirming power in my life and where does that come from it came from my upbringing and what can i do about Mm -hmm. it and so i decided i'm gonna live my life bask in my wokeness for myself Mm-hmm. Not not for someone else to take that from me just so they can look good and so they can feel good about themselves. And yeah, so I, I just, I stopped. I, I stopped sending him articles. I stopped being this <laughs> ideal woke girl for him. I stopped just doing free intellectual labor yeah. because... I worked hard for that shit, you know? Yeah. I worked so hard to educate myself. Mm-hmm. Um and I lived through it, you know. Yeah. I'm not I'm not quote unquote woke because because I just read about it. I lived it. Yeah. And and I earned it. I mm-hmm. earned to know all these things and I'm not just going to hand them out to people who don't value them and don't care about them because it would have been different if he would have taken these things, this knowledge and used it for something Mm -hmm. to call out his racist friends, to stand in solidarity with people of color, to work to dismantle systemic system, like to, to do anything with it. And he didn't. And so that's why I was like, you don't deserve this. Yeah. You, you need to earn it because Mm -hmm. we've, People of color give things away all the time. We give away our time. We give away our intelligence. We give away our bodies. And it's like, no more. You don't deserve to have this unless you're going to work for it and do something of value with it. So that was a huge turning point. And it was hard um, to, to say no to him and say no to this friendship. But at the end of the day, I knew that I, that was worth more than he can afford. Love it. And I love that if you've been listening to the show, you all know that like so many of these like realizations, these epiphanies have come like in college spaces. Mm -hmm. I think being around so many different people who remind you of someone or some other instance, something that happened to you, like being away from home even like allows for the space to really grow. Yeah. And be unapologetic about my growth. Like, I'm not changing. This is who I am. Yeah. And this is what I'm not willing to do anymore. Right. Yeah. And just owning that and letting yourself feel okay with it. Because, like I said at first, I definitely thought I was doing the wrong thing. And I was like, well, maybe I can change him. Maybe, you know, he needs a woke brown girl in his life. But no, this is, that's not my job. No. I'm not getting paid for this. No. I'm not getting anything in return. So what, what is it to me? So yeah, it, it was so liberating to just say, you better bend with me for what I just, 
laid down because it is so unfair. Yeah. It's, it is something that is valuable. Yeah. And we need to recognize that, that our identities and our stories and our knowledge, they are worth so much. Yeah. And people always try to tell us that they're not and that they're not important, that our voices don't matter. But there's people getting paid, white people getting paid yeah. to teach brown kids about their identities. <laughs> so why shouldn't I be getting paid for something that I've lived through and that I can share with people? Yeah. So it is, it is what, it, what it is now. But yeah, I wish someone someone back then would have told me it, it doesn't matter. What they yeah. think doesn't matter. What these white guys think about you doesn't matter because you know your worth. And that's all... That's all that you should care about. Yeah. That you know who you are and you don't need a white guy to tell you that you're worth it. I love that. So let's toast Cheers. with this beautiful rosé. I really like it, by the way. Thank you for bringing it over. Yes, of course. Okay, so I'm here with Randy. Hi. Randy is a federal contractor, mm-hmm. personal trainer, and yep. health coach yep. from Maryland. Um, and she's also a dear friend of mine. Yes. And has, out of all of my like really good friends, I think you've been in a relationship the longest. Yeah, that's out of all my good friends, too. <laughs> Where I can actually, like, <laughs> you know look at you and Dylan, your husband, mm-hmm. as like a an example of like a healthy relationship. Yeah. And I don't think there are a lot of those around. No. These not, days. not with the internet. The, with the internet, Readily I know. available. Yeah, it we makes a lot worse. We started dating before iPhones even existed. Yeah. So how did you guys meet? So my husband is white. Yes. And we met in the whitest place ever, PacSun. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. What were you shopping for? No. So. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't shopping there. Even better, we were working there. <laughs> so my manager, shout out to Frank, who will never hear this, but shout out to Frank. Um, was Dylan's best friend from high school. And so Frank was throwing a party and Dylan was at the party, met him there, we hit it off, and then we ended up working together um, at Paxson. Wow. So was it like love at first sight? Had you dated white guys before him? I mean, I was 21 or 22 at the time, so I hadn't really, like, dated, per se, you know? Like, there's the high school, like, boyfriends, and in college, I lived on in the dorms and dates. Like, nobody could afford to go on an actual date, <laughs> right. right? So yeah. I, I, I hadn't really dated a whole lot, um, but I had, like talked to mm. other white guys I, I mean i've talked to all kinds of dudes so. yeah was he the first not necessarily but he was the first guy that i was in a serious relationship with 
and it lasted forever. <laughs> <laughs> so Dylan is from Maryland as well, right? Born and raised in Damascus, Maryland. Lived there for until up until we moved into our first apartment together. Wow. Um, lived in the same house for like 22-ish years. Yeah. You don't meet many people like that, especially not in this area, not in the, the DMV area. There's not a lot of people who were, you know, born, raised, and stayed. That's true. That's um, true. Damascus is a super small town in Montgomery County, Maryland. It's very rural. Um I actually lived with him and his parents in their basement for like three years after we were engaged. Um, that was an interesting experience. But uh, Damascus was like, it was a dry town mm. up until 2012 mm. when I voted mm. <laughs> <laughs> to cut that shit. To cut that shit out. <laughs> and you, there still are no. Um, liquor stores or beer and wine stores but you can get it at the pizzeria <laughs> the one pizzeria the one pizzeria um in damascus shout out to you damascus maryland <laughs> <laughs> lots of love apparently yeah yeah <laughs> so through this relationship mm-hmm. what have been some of or what was one of the like worst instances of racism that you all experienced so one sticks out to me in, in particular, and it's funny because before he, before I got here today, he and I had a conversation, and I had mentioned this situation to mm-hmm. him, and he said, you know, that happened kind of like a, to a lesser degree before that at the mall, and I was like, I don't remember that at all. So mm-hmm. apparently this has happened twice, but I blocked the first one out of my mm-hmm. memory completely. Um so there's a neighboring town to Damascus called Mount Airy, Maryland, mm-hmm. which is, believe it or not, even more rural than wow. Damascus. <laughs> Dry? Maybe. I'm not. I doubt it, but I'm not sure. So there's a tiny little restaurant in Mount Airy that everyone from around the Mount Airy and Damascus area know called i think it's called the mount arian i'm not sure but it's like a little brunch spot that his mom used dylan's mom used to go to a lot um his sister would talk about it all the time like everyone there talks it's a destination the mount airy the The mount airy inn yes so um we decided to go there for brunch one day i think this is when we were living in his parents basement together i'm not sure Mm -hmm. uh it was several years ago probably like seven or so years ago we've been together for almost 12 years um so we get to the restaurant i'm super excited because it's brunch obviously (laughs) (laughs) who's not (laughs) we walk in and it feels like the music stopped oh wow i immediately I don't know about you, but when I'm in spaces that I know are probably going to be predominantly white, I become hyper aware of my environment, do like a quick scan of the room mm-hmm. to see what the, the situation is, <laughs> and then figure out how to react to that. So mm-hmm. I look around. I'm clearly the only black person there. 
we get seated at our table. I'm still like, yeah, you know, I mean, in Damascus, it's, it's not very diverse. Mount Airy is the next town over. I don't assume it's going to be much different. It's not. Uh, we sit down at our table. You know, we're going over the menu. I start to look around the room to see what people are eating. And I notice people are staring at us, the two of us. We're not at like a booth. We're literally sitting in the middle of oh a restaurant God. at a table for Ugh. two people. Ugh. It's crowded as hell because it's brunch and it's a destination. It's insane. You know, there's a lot of like old people, families, not a lot of like younger couples, really. It's sort of like a take granny to lunch type of place. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sit down, I'm looking at the menu, look around, notice people are staring at us and I'm like, okay you know they probably don't see this very often like they 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 see black people but probably not interracial couples very much you know giving people kind of the benefit of the doubt Mm. our food comes out i continue looking around i see people like frowning at me i got up to go to the bathroom come back and i sit down and walk or I see this older woman, like, sort of across. She's sitting at the table next to us, but it's sort of, like, diagonal to where mm-hmm. I'm sitting. I see her. We make eye contact, and she shakes her head at me. Wow. And then, like, says something to the people next to her. And I immediately just started crying. It was... It for me, it was pretty traumatic. Yeah. Um. And Dylan, obviously, he understood why I was upset, yeah. but was not as upset as right. I was. Um. I I'm sitting there in the middle of this restaurant, surrounded by white people. None of them want me there. Yeah. And it's like 2007, eight, mm-hmm. nine. It's not you know, 19. 19- 72 right, not 1913 right. it's, it's the 2000s <laughs> yeah so uh, that's never happened to me yeah. before i've never been in a space where people didn't want me because of what i look like like yeah. i was not used to that i grew up in ann arbor but it wasn't very diverse but nobody cared there uh so it was i it was awful yeah. for me um and we ended up, you know, I didn't want to, like, get up and leave yeah. and be the black girl who doesn't pay her bill at the restaurant. Shit. <laughs> That's exactly what you cannot. Yeah, I know. I can't do that. Wow. So we finish our food. Um, we pay the bill. We get to the car. And, like, you know, I, I was crying at the table, but not, like, bawling. I yeah. was just, like, visibly upset. We get to the car, and I just lost it. Yeah. And was like, I can't believe these people, like, just because of what I look like, I don't understand. You know, it's the first time that I ever experienced blatant racism before. And he said, and I will never forget it, and I carry it with me to this day. He said, imagine how miserable they must be knowing that your presence alone ruined their day. Mm-hmm. And they have to carry that on their spirits every single day. They have mm-hmm. to carry that hatred. And you don't. Mm-hmm. And I remember that, and I again, I carry it with me to this day. 
Uh, it was it was very calming for me. You know, he was upset too, yeah. obviously, but he wasn't hurt like yeah. I was. He yeah. was more angry, yes. but didn't show it. He's not the type of person to really show anger. He's more sympathetic, mm-hmm. which pisses me off sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> not like, stop trying to understand them. Right, like, just right. Just be mad. Be yeah. mad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, he was very calming and and I'll never forgive or forget that moment. Um, so, and based on that, like, do you think you talked about him being like a really sympathetic person? Mm-hmm. Do you think that makes it easier in those moments? Like, and in the future when anything like that happens, like being in an interracial relationship where like, it's not about like your white partner being the wokest of the woke and knowing right. all the lingo and, and but being as understanding and yeah sympathizing right. easily yes and i mean he is i hate this term but he is woke mm-hmm. um you know sometimes he knows more stuff than i do mm-hmm. not like he's not hip <laughs> <laughs> he's not cool by any means <laughs> um but yeah, I I do think that that, to answer your question, that that would help in future situations, you know. Um, and when I say sympathetic, I don't mean like sympathetic towards the racist, right. you know. He's right. not like, well, you know, they grew up in an area. And are, no. Right. No. He right. understands that, that they are ignorant. They yes. have chosen to be ignorant and they have chosen that path for their lives. He's sympathetic to how I react to things. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually asked him today uh, what I talked about at the beginning of this. I said, you know, you know, how when I walk into a space, mm-hmm. the first thing that I notice is how many other people of color are there. And I asked him if that's something that he notices or is he ever aware of that? And he said, no, it's not something that I look for. It's usually not even something that I realize until you mention it. Mm. But when you do, I understand. And I I can see how you would be uncomfortable in that space. Yeah. So we've been together for 12 years and it's still not something that he thinks about necessarily. Yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting. You know, he'll never know what it feels like to be me. And I'll yeah. never know what it feels like to be him. But all we can do is talk about it. Yeah. Um, and understand each other. And we've never had any issues with that. You know, I've never been like, I don't know. I don't know why you don't understand why boxer braids aren't OK. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you get it? <laughs> you know, once I explain things to him, yeah. he's he gets it. So. Yeah. And do you find yourself because one of the things we talk about in um in a lot of like social justice spaces uh, is the, and Danielle talks about this in her episode as well for episode mm-hmm. three, the like, it's not my job to like make you feel more comfortable with mm-hmm. the way things are mm-hmm. right. Or it's not my job to teach you about the way things are. Right. Do you find that it's easier to talk to him about 
these things to do the have those teachable moments with him because he is a sympathetic person or is it because of your closeness with him that you're like no I'm gonna do this work because it's the very least you gotta be the person it's definitely I think it's more so because he's my husband Mm -hmm. um and he comes from a family who's very aware Mm-hmm. of social justice issues you know his mom and his dad the first thing i before we even started our relationship i asked him two questions mm-hmm. number one are your parents going to be okay with this mm. and number two do you only date black women like mm-hmm. is this a fetishy type of thing or am i the first what what's the deal um before we even got into a serious relationship yeah. and he was like oh i never even like thought to ask my parents if they would be Uh okay with that because it's not the way I was raised like they are not going to have an issue and they didn't and he actually thought that my parents would have an issue with him being white which is hilarious to me (laughs) because my parents are hippies his parents are hippies it's Mm. not an issue um and I think I was the first black woman he's ever been with or dated so that wasn't an issue either you know i just i didn't want to be fetishized of course in any way of course not (laughs) and Um, i feel like that is one of the main worries like this is like a box you're checking off right as opposed to like an authentic connection that you're having with me yeah exactly well it's good that he was able to like you said sympathize with you in that moment and then also I find that it's difficult to like stay positive mm-hmm. in those sorts of moments like you automatically want to go to like the venting and the shit on them and yeah. shit on this and that and the third yeah but he was like don't even worry about it that means nothing in the grand scheme of our life right because that person is wildly unhappy mm-hmm. and that's how I feel about a lot of racists yeah but like we still have to move through the world with them, and that's where like the anger and the venting comes out. Right, like, I right. Still have to deal. Like I can't completely separate. You can't, and it's it's much easier to when you are not. I don't want to say the victim, but mm. you're not the one at the end of all of that. Right, you know. Um, but I understand he, he means well. He's coming from a good place. He just wants me to be happy at the end of the day. And if that means that, you know, forget about what these miserable people are thinking. We, You and I both know who you are as a person. That means nothing. Um, it's it's nice to have that. It's, it's He only wants a happy wife. Happy wife, happy life. Exactly. <laughs> and we don't go to Mount Airy anymore. <laughs> Fuck Mount Airy. the last time we've ever been to that restaurant. <laughs> oh, God. No, no. Mm-mm. No need to return to the scene of crime Mm-mm. on that one. Hell no. <laughs> so advice to, like, people in relationships, period. You know, dealing with affronts to either an individual person in the relationship or just, like, you mm-hmm. know, nacing the entire situation. What do you have? listen Mm. especially for men i find that straight men try to find solutions to things to a lot of your issue my issues you know but instead of giving me advice or coming up with a solution i just want you to hear me yeah that's all 
So listen to your partner. You don't necessarily have to fix their problems, but they need someone to listen to their problems and to uplift them and to tell them that everything's going to be okay. Or to tell them that they're being, you know, (laughs) everything might not be okay, but I will be here Mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Well, cheers to that. Cheers. Happy um, almost Valentine's Day. Yes. Happy Valentine's Day. Are you guys doing anything special? So we're not actually big on Valentine's Day or anniversaries. We just sort of do like a last minute. Maybe we'll go to dinner. Maybe not. I don't know. It depends on what day it is and if it's convenient. (laughs) If it's a Wednesday. Right. It's not going down. We're big birthday people. Oh, I like that. So we celebrate that. And Valentine's Day happens to be pretty close to my birthday so we don't exchange gifts or cards or anything although i will say he usually gets me flowers and if i don't get them (laughs) it's an issue (laughs) (laughs) one year they came like the day after because there was a blizzard and i was like you didn't even get me flowers (laughs) it's because there was a blizzard he's like i actually did that's amazing yeah so we don't really we don't do a big thing for valentine's day as long as we're together that's all Uh, (laughs) i love it i know well thanks randy and i love just to say like i know dylan i've met dylan i love dylan i find you guys so wonderful thank you as a couple and just individually as people so i'm glad to have y'all as an example, like, do it like this. Yeah. Or something like this. <laughs> like, this is maybe not so much. Yeah. Them. Look at them. <laughs> Don't look over here. Look over there. Right. Yeah. So cheers to that as well. Thank you. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's fun. I know. Isn't it great? It's, it's just, awesome. What I've noticed in the show... I'm probably going to cut this out, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I have wanted to have these conversations mm-hmm. for forever because I've known you for years. I've known a lot of friends on the show so far mm-hmm. for years. And these are things I just I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And everyone is so busy. Yeah. But it's hard to find the time. And when we're like at a Beyonce concert, it's kind of <laughs> not the time. So <laughs> it's not the time to talk about anything other than Beyonce. It's really not. <laughs> So in those moments, I'm like, we'll save it for later. Yeah. And then brunch comes and talk about something else. Right. We'll save it for later. These are just things that I actually want to talk about. Right. And I feel like the show is offering me that opportunity. So even if like nothing comes of this other mm-hmm. than me getting to talk about these things with the people that I care about, yeah. like, I'm good. Yeah. Because it's what I love to do. It's like a little mini therapy session. Yeah. A lot of people describe it like, okay. I can let go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really glad about that. Absolutely. So let's go eat Indian food and get you home. All right. Your man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hey, boo. Love you. So that's a wrap. 
for the Valentine's Day special edition of Me and a Bunch of White Girls. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more about my friends and their experiences, please read the extended interviews we have with all of our guests on patreon.com slash mbwg podcast. Stay tuned for um Stay tuned, sorry, for episodes from Randy and from Nicole in the coming weeks. Uh, they are a couple of new guests on the show. Um, and you can read their extended interviews also on patreon.com slash podcast. Follow um, Being a Bunch of White Girls on Twitter and on Instagram at podcast, And share the show with your friends. Please and thank you. Happy Valentine's Day, you guys. I hope everyone is having a good time, whether you're celebrating with a partner, a loved one, or just yourself.